Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. I'm promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and it is our duty, our responsibility, our goal, and every opportunity we have is all about empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. We just we're glad we've been able to do that, and we're excited as we come to the close of this year. I hope you've been able to enjoy what we've been able to do over these last uh, several months, over these last months, over these last years. Just excited, and as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. And there's some ways you can do that. You, uh, the primary way, if you want to get your thoughts, your opinions live on the air, you can do by by calling the number three four seven two three seven five two three zero. Uh, but I wish I had some kind of applause machine. So, so is up and open, and um, so you can go to the chat room, log in there, and share your thoughts there. Also, send me an email, pastorlorenzoneal at gmail dot com. Hit us up on our Facebook page, the Zero Network on Facebook. Also, uh, go to our page on the Black Talk Radio. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already done that. You can catch any archived show all the way back to 2010 when we began this this great uh, broadcast. Also, uh, what, up? what am I missing? What am I missing? Yeah, my personal Twitter at Parathesai and anything else I probably forgot about, but you can do it. You can find us. We're available. We're here and we're glad. It is December it is the last month of the year. It is the twilight of 2014. I like saying the twilight of 2014. And next week will be Christmas. Man, how quick is that? You know, I'm excited. I ain't getting nothing, but I'm still excited. 
I I know a lot of people will be expecting a lot of good things, and uh, you know, maybe I might get a gift. I'm excited because, well, I'm excited just because. Uh, Christmas morning we always do a service here at the church, uh, so that's I'm looking forward to that. I have no other plans after that. I may be able to travel home. I'm excited. My goddaughter is going to come. She's coming from Chicago to share a little time with with the man, and I'm going to be excited about that. Uh, first year college freshman, and uh, you know how it is. I've been sending money, helping her, breaking. I can. I've been broke. I've been broke. <laughs> That's all I can say. I've been broke, but I'm excited. I'm gonna get to share a little time with her, and then take her home to her mom for for uh, Christmas, and then have to come back for service. But hey. It's worth it anyway. So I guess that's that's why I'm really excited. I get to spend time with the babies, the God babies, until I get my own. Uh, yeah, I have to go from there. But, you know, let's go into prayer. And I got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. I want to talk about, I, I, I want to talk about, are you celebrating the myth or the majesty of Christmas? And how do these symbols that we have that surround this this holiday Perpetuate that myth. Have you bought into the myth? Probably have. You didn't even realize it. But that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, that and a couple other things. But let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. God of grace and God of glory, we thank you for another opportunity to be able to do this show. We pray, God, that you would just bless the show, the hearers, listeners, all who will be partaking and participating. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I want to start off with a couple of headlines. And um, it's really interesting. Now, I got to see, I went to see the Moses Exodus movie. And <laughs> I didn't know whether to laugh or to be ashamed for 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 the, uh, the, the director, the actors. I love Christian Bale. I liked him as Batman, a couple of other movies he did. But I mean, really, they didn't just go over the top. They went <laughs> into the stratosphere with this. When I mean, there is little resemblance to the biblical story at all. Uh, and you know, they could take their liberty with that. That's created liberty. I understand that. But for example, I talked last week, last time on the show about the portrayal of God as this little kid, and he's an adorable kid. But dude had issues the way his character was portrayed. I I wouldn't serve a god like that, you know. You know he wasn't benevolent unless he was getting his way, throwing temper tantrums. And and I, honestly, I believe some people think that's how God is. You know, throws the temper tantrum when he doesn't get his way. If you read in the Old Testament, that's how it comes across sometimes. You know. So he kills people and he does all this crazy stuff because he's not getting his way. Uh, I'm not going to argue that at the moment. Uh, but there were a couple other things about the movie that I liked. I liked there was one scene: the alligators. They had these huge alligators. I just I'm like, wow, really? As part of, uh, wait a minute, yeah, the plague. You know, the ten plagues that. Uh, that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh was going to happen. They all happen at one time in the movie. You know, I can understand trying to, you know, create the space, you know, time and whatever. Um, but if I remember it correctly, 
it started from a dude drowning or getting killed or something like that, and his blood contaminated the Nile, and that led to all the other stuff happening and just happened sequentially all at one moment instead of, you know, however detailed. And, you know, and the Bible isn't clear as to how long the plagues take. Whatever, you know, it doesn't say if it was one-day plague, 10-year plague. It doesn't say. It just, it's not clear on that. And uh, so who knows about that? But that's beyond the point. That's beside the point. Um, and then they got some big-time stars, actors and actresses in there who their their role was menial and, you know, at best. They, you know, some I was expecting a little bit more for some of the people I saw in there. But, hey, well, you know. I don't know if this is going to be a blockbuster or just a a flop. That has yet to be determined. Uh, but if it's anything, and you know, I like the adventure and the action. That especially the war scene. There was a one one scene, one war scene that was pretty good. So I like that part. But you know, if you if you're going to see this movie thinking that it's going to be a biblical based music movie, it's not. Just like Noah wasn't. But hey, it's Hollywood. What can you expect? But, hey, I still enjoy myself. I don't think it was a waste of money. I like creativity. So it is what it is. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. I, I went to see that Chris Rock movie, too. Um, and it was funny, but, yeah, it is what it is. Actually, I didn't really go see it. Somebody had it on bootleg and was playing it, and I just happened to be there while they were playing it. <laughs> I just told off on myself. But anyway, uh, so it is what it is. But um, that's the way my holiday has been getting started. I, I came across a news story today that really just, I, I, I there have no words for it. But the Christian Post is reporting today that um, Pastor Gordon A. Humphrey passed away. He died. He died in this pulpit, and that's scary enough, but uh, the way the article reads is that a week after celebrating his 60th birthday, Pastor Humphrey was at the pulpit, in the pulpit of his new church, um, and he was singing Happy, you know, Happy, the song by Pharrell, and that while he was Singing that song in the middle of the song, somewhere in between the song, he dropped dead. You heard me right. He was singing Pharrell, and as a result, you know, not as a result, I can't can't say that as a result, but uh, in singing Pharrell, while singing the song Happy, this pastor collapsed in the pulpit. And I said it's scary. I say it's scary because you know you don't you don't know what what caused it, you know you don't know uh, you don't know what caused. It. Of course, he may have had health issues, but here's the thing: at the time of his death, the dude, uh, Reverend uh, Reverend Humphrey, was pastoring three churches, two in California, and the one that he was at in Chicago. He was he was singing at um singing at his church in Chicago. Uh, he pastored, uh, at the time of his death, he pastored Olivet Church in Oakland, California, Olivet Church in Stockton, Stockton California, and he had just recently been uh, elected as the pastor of Shallow Baptist Church in Chicago. 
and that is where his pastor, his dad had pastored, his father had pastored for at least 40 years, if not more. And uh, he took that, uh, he took on that church because of his father's declining health or whatever, passing away, that forced him to relocate. And so he was by uh, by coastal pastor, or however you want to describe that. But, you know, it's a scary thing. Earlier this year, if you remember, I think around March, there was a pastor who um, who died in the pulpit after confessing to having an adulterous uh, affair, uh, confessing to adultery or some other sin. Of course, he was an older man. He was, I think, he was in the seventies or eighties, if not, uh, somewhere in there. And he made this confession, and then as soon as he made this confession, he died in the pulpit. Uh, this pastor Humphrey has been lamented as someone who both loved God and loved people, who someone who was concerned about concerned about um, urban ministry, and so he. Um, you know, and all his friends describe him as described him as someone who loved God, loved people, and that he had a heart for uh, for urban ministry, and that he would walk the streets and minister to gangbangers, drug addicts, and all of those and the like. So it is clear that he he had a love and heart for the people. But uh, it's sad to see how he passed away. Now, the good thing is he passed away doing what he loved. If I, I've always said if I, if it, if it's my time to go, I want to make sure that I go preaching. Well, let me put it this way: I, I wouldn't mind going out like that. That's I, I would, I wouldn't mind doing that. If I took my last breath after I preached the sermon and people got converted or the word was received, I, you know, I wouldn't mind that at all. But I'm not in a rush for that. I had a pastor, uh, one of my mentors, who uh, he was 96, 96, 97 at the time of his death. And I was in college. And when I was a little boy preacher, um, he's also my cousin. Um, he always preached, you know, he was the kind that loved to preach. He, that was what he did. And so he was in a nursing home, and I got a chance to visit him in the nursing home. And shortly after our conversation started, you know, we had, we have a good time. Uh, he got to preaching, and when I say he got to preaching, he preached. That's that's what he had been doing. And you know, he preached for about five minutes. He never preached long anyway, but he preached about five minutes. Uh, and then you know he he you know calmed down and he go to sleep. He did that just about every time I visited. And he died, pre- you know, he died. The report I got is that he died preaching to a nurse, uh, one of the caregivers in the nursing home. So <laughs> that that's always funny. I mean, that's always good, not funny. But pray for the Humphrey family. Pray for uh, uh, the church family as they grieve this loss. It's, it's a sad thing. And, you know, I take preaching serious. I, I really do. And I know a lot of preachers who don't. And that's the scary thing. Um, those who don't, you know, it's dangerous. I to me, it's dangerous to play, to play with that. I don't, I don't play with the ministry. I, you know, I grew up playing church, 
uh, and I see a lot of these kids and some adults still playing church. That's a scary thing to me. And I think about the those people who have been killed, martyrs, uh, whatever, whatnot. Those it really grieves me. So uh, I take it serious. I think everyone should take it serious, and you know, don't play with God like the old folks. Don't play with God. You you know, don't play with God. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking um, about the symbols and myths of Christmas, you know, the symbols that reinforce the Christmas myth. Are you celebrating the myth or the majesty of the Christ, of the Christ Mass? That's what we're going to be talking about, and um, we hope you stay tuned for it, and we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. insurance because what you don't know can hurt you what if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars Talk to Hawaii. what if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises so should the coverage on your jewelry ah. what if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation the more you know the better you can plan for what's ahead talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance we are farmers bum, da, da, bum, 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 bum. How much money do you need to make each month? That's the first question we'll ask when you decide to start your own home business through IncomeAtHome.com. As a success coach, I'm here to guide people like Karen who need to earn serious money from home. We were living payday to payday, and with four teenagers at home, we were worried. By the third month, I was banking more than $2,600. After only 18 months, I was consistently earning more than $7,000 a month. Now, it's a six figure income and I'm paying cash for college for four kids. We found our way out of rat race. Listen, this isn't selling soap or energy water to your friends. This is a real business bringing potential customers to your computer so you can earn money 24-7. Incomeathome.com is affiliated with a multi-billion dollar company and carries a triple A rating. So how much money do you need to earn each month from home? Visit IncomeAtHome.com right now for your chance to win $1,000. Who loves social networking as much as you? Identity thieves. They can find your personal information and do some serious damage, like your birthday or your mother's maiden name. You need a new friend, LifeLock. We scour billions of data points every day. And if we discover that any of your personal information is misused, LifeLock is there. Call us at 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com today. You've heard the saying, clothes make the man. Used to be that way with suits. Wear one and you'd start to think like one. Wall Street before Main Street. Profit before people. Well, that's changing. I mean, look around. You see a lot more guys wearing suits. They're not thinking like suits. 
what it comes down to is this. Today, you don't have to be one to wear one. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I'm glad that you have joined us for this auspicious day. <laughs> the Wednesday, no, it's not the Wednesday before Christmas. It's the Wednesday before the Wednesday before Christmas. Yeah, that's better. Anyway, we're glad that you joined us. Um, we are excited. Um, if you're in the Jackson area, I want to invite you to come back to come by New Bethel Church on Saturday, December 20th. We will be holding a Walking in Winter Wonderland uh, pageant. It's a it's a wonderful debutante slash uh, Christmas pageant. It's not really anything you know Christmassy about it, but we'll be presenting young men and young ladies in their finest formal ga- uh, attire. And uh, we've done it before, and it's always a wonderful thing. So if you come out, as Wednesday, December 20th at uh, 3 o'clock. You're going to be blessed. I enjoy it. It's a wonderful thing. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I have about 40 kids looking forward to partic- uh, who are participating, and I'm just looking forward to seeing their pretty selves. Um, so having said all of that, uh, let's get to the topic for today. We're talking about talking about believing the myths of Christmas. Matter of fact, hold up. I got to take one quick break. Let me play this commercial real quick and I'm going to take one quick break. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, walk, walk. Love to walk. A long walk. A, a walk with you. A walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere, ever. Because that wonderful bouncy roll around thing had made you play. And that and make you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. All right. I had to take a quick break because uh, I do the show from my office. And uh, like I said, we're preparing for this pageant. So people are coming in and out. And <laughs> I just, you know, just had to let them know, hey, keep the noise down. No, just kidding. But yeah, it's true. Anyway, so let's get into the topic of the day. On point. Are you celebrating the myth or the majesty of Christmas? And how how 
the symbols have the symbols that we now see that go up around this time actually reinforce a lot of the myths about Christmas. And I'll, let me let me put it this way: there, depending on where you are in the country, or the United States of America, there are some who are saying that there is a war on Christmas, that people are actually attacking Christmas, and I'm kind of I, I I'm I'm gonna be honest with you I I don't think there's a war on Christmas because Christmas in itself is a myth and it's the way you know the way it's celebrated. What do you mean it's a myth? I'm gonna talk about that later. Uh, you know, most people the way uh, m- most people uh, do not believe that the contemporary celebration of this holiday is very very recent matter of fact most of the stuff that we do during the christmas holiday now has only been going on has only been occurring within the last um century or two centuries not not quite 200 years uh mostly the latter part of the 18th and 19th century, especially the 20th century, is where we adopted a lot of the things. For example, today, uh, and I didn't think, didn't talk about this. Today is the first day of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, 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 however they pronounce it, depends. It's never, that's not a wrong spelling or pronunciation. And a lot of the traditions that uh, Jews now do during this eight-day celebration of Hanukkah are very recent. You know, for example, the giving of the gift. The, the money to children, uh, the Hanukkah guilt, guilt or whatever how they pronounce it, uh, the um, the singing of some of the songs, and a lot of the other little traditions, the food, some of the food like the uh, the uh, potato cake, all those are really recent, but they've been incorporated into you know for example the burnt you know the lighting of the 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 huge menorah on the National Mall that. Is Recent, recent um, traditions, observations, practices. It's the same way, same thing in, with the Christmas holiday. Most of what we now acknowledge as part of the holiday celebration and observation is really not as ancient as we make it out to be. You know, there's some who, uh, you know, for example, the word Christmas is fairly recent. Is you know the Mass of the Christ, but that didn't come into the Protestant language until you know very very recently. Uh, wasn't observed. Here's another thing: I, I know a lot of people, a lot of people fail to uh, or just don't know. It's for about the first 250 years after Christ, they weren't even acknowledging uh, the birth of Christ. There wasn't it wasn't a focus. They weren't. Uh, the first, second, and third century church did not focus on the birth of Christ. It wasn't their concern. Their focus was on uh, Easter and uh, the Sabbath or Sunday. You know that that's what they focused. That's what they put their efforts on. They they wanted you to recognize uh, both of those because they were anticipating the return of Christ. So they didn't acknowledge. They didn't acknowledge uh, the birth of Christ. As Christians moved northward from the Middle East and moved further up into Europe 
as the centuries progressed, particularly around the 4th and 5th century, uh, they begin to encounter these cultures that had various practices during the winter solstice. And as those, those missionaries interacted with those cultures, uh, they had both a zeal for the culture, you know, for them to embrace Christ, but they also had the ingenuity to realize that we don't want them to to uh, be turned off by certain things. So incorporated a lot of those practices, those observances of the winter solstice into uh, their recognition of the birth of Christ. And so that's how we get, that's how we began or how Christians began observing uh, winter as the time of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what's interesting about that, and the people, you know, a lot of people argue this already. You know, of course, we we know definitively December 25th is not his birth. That's not the day he was born. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth was born. Uh, is not anywhere close. And he shares that with other uh, demigods, such as Horus. Uh, of course, if you're familiar with Egyptian uh, mythology. Horus was born by Isis because Isis, Isis's husband Osiris was killed by her brother Set, who was jealous of us, of uh, Osiris, and killed him, and tossed his body into the Nile. And uh, Isis recovered all of his body parts except for his penis, and uh, hid out, and miraculously gave birth to, oh, uh, to Horus, but. Uh, but Isis wasn't a virgin. She had, a, you know, she was espoused to, she wasn't a virgin. So it wasn't really a birth, virgin birth. Uh, then you have Krishna, who has a similar story about his father being a god, his mother being human, and giving birth to Krishna so that he could be born, uh, the god could be in, manifested in human form for various reasons. And then as, uh, of course, Hercules, then there's um, Dionysius, Abacus. Uh, uh, all these have this the same December 25th birth myth. You know, so so throwing Jesus in there kind of asks the you know begs one to ask the question: Is um, is the birth of Jesus more a myth, or is it uh, you know, or is it a real event? Now I, I've never. Since I've been an adult, I've I've gone to realize that it's more on the myth side than an actual event, as far as the way it's recorded. Because if you look in the Gospels, there are only two Gospels, synoptic Gospels, that actually, you know, share the story, and only one goes into detail, and uh, that's Luke's Gospel. And Luke's Gospel is very dramatic and elaborate, and I mean, it's it's really over the top. Uh, however, when Matthew deals with it, he does deals with it from a um, from a uh, genealogical perspective, and you know, the first part of chapter one goes through the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham all the way down to his father, his stepfather Joseph. And I, I like it. I grew up. He came down through forty two generations. <laughs> I still love preaching that every now and then. Uh, but that was, you know, that's the that's the. Uh, the gist of the story from Matthew and and over over time people have tried to uh, theologians have tried to mesh this and make it fit and they can't 
you know the the stories are very distinct uh and you know i I've seen them parallel and while there are some similarities there the contradiction or not contradiction but uh discrepancies are there and they are you know they're hard to hard to put out now it's that's hard for some people to see uh especially good old church folk you know it's really hard for them to say well preacher you're saying that this is no no I'm not saying this is not real uh, what I'm saying is the narrative that contained the story are uh, probably 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 incorrect and if the narrative is incorrect then you know it begs the question was the whole you know well was he, was he all the way was Jesus real or just a copy of you know other pagan gods or whatever and of course there are some who can argue that uh, but beyond the assertions that are presented by some scholars the reality is the reality is that we are here celebrating this this holiday now and it has been infused into the uh general mentality and general uh practice of just about everybody because if no one else practices hospitality giving or no one else practices doing out the entire year for at least three weeks out of the year or four weeks out of the year during December or from the latter part from the from Thanksgiving to the end of the year, they're going to be so it may be what six weeks. They'll be generous. They'll be giving. They'll be in a celebratory mood. And every now and then, you have a Grinch <laughs> or a Mr. Scrooge, but things of that nature. So let's just let's let's deal with some of these things here. What are some of the symbols that have become a part of this celebration that actually reinforce the myth? What are some of the things that we we have incorporated that reinforce the myth Christmas story instead of in embracing the majesty of the Christmas story? We know that God, uh, as the angel spoke to Mary, said, uh, "You shall call it, a child will be born to you, and you shall call his name Emmanuel." And then another gospel writer comes right back to him and says, "You should call his name Jesus." You know. Well, anyway, so how do we, how do we, what what are the things that have come to reinforce this bad side, the mythological side, the story side, the made-up part? Well, we have several things. First, you know, the biggest thing is the nativity scene. That one thing right there is the biggest problem that reinforces the myth. Well, what do you mean by the nativity scene? Well, in most nativity scenes, you have a baby lying in a manger or some kind of wooden crate with hay. You have a man and a woman. You have a couple of shepherds. Then you have uh, three, quote-unquote, wise men. And then you have uh, the angels, you know, around up in the sky. And you have animals surrounding it. That could not be farther from the truth. So let's break this down. And where do we get this from? We get these, again, from these two texts, these two narratives that come from the gospel, Synodic Gospel of Matthew and the Synodic Gospel of Luke. You won't find it in Mark or John. Those other two gospels, you won't find it because their accounts 
Mark's account begins with Jesus as a grown man, and John's began with him as a grown man also, but incorporates the idea of his divinity as beginning with uh, in verse one of John chapter one. In Archaean on Logos postone Theos, in the beginning was the lo- was the word and God was the word. That's what that was in Archaean on Logos postone Theos. Uh yeah, that's Greek. Alright. So here in these two gospels account you have this story of uh, of this young girl and her husband or her uh fiance depends on how you interpret it because uh the word there implies marriage as well as betrothed or I mean as well as engagement so uh it depends he paid the dowry anyway so you know I grew up like most of you grew up listening to this and, and reading it and the story is they went to the inn and there was no room for them in the inn. And so it implies that they were trying to find a hotel the night that she was, uh, the time she was about to give birth. And since they couldn't find a hotel, they just stayed in the barn. But that's far from the truth. Nine times out of ten, uh, the trip going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, if they even make that trip, because there's some scholars who argue that, uh, um, Joseph would not have had to go to Bethlehem, even though he was a descendant of David, and that was David's hometown. Uh, that he would not have had to travel because he was not, uh, he didn't, uh, you know, taxes were not required for him to travel there. Uh, if that was part of a census that was taken, it would have been taken in Nazareth. But that's a whole different argument. Um, but anyway, the argument is that. She was born in a, you know, in a in a in a the barn of a hotel, <laughs> a Middle Eastern ancient hotel, which is not true. Nine times out of ten, they would have begun the journey long enough for her to find housing. Uh, the problem was that they arrived and they were they would have stayed at a relative one of his one of Joseph's relatives' homes is where they would have uh, had lodging, and uh rooms there homes there were not big you know it may have two floors you know two two tiered homes not you know like we think of today but um you would have had an upper room and a lower room the upper room would have been the sleeping chambers and may have been enough to accommodate maybe seven to eight people and then the lower room would have been the dining chamber as well as a uh, chamber for any of the uh, any of the house, the animals that uh, the family may have owned, which could have been cattle or goat, things of that nature, uh, you know, whatever few animals that they had, that they had, more than likely was cattle because, of, you know, milk and whatever. So when it said that there was no room in the inn, uh, it was saying that there was no extra space in the upper room and she could not, she could not physically make that being that she was nine months pregnant. You know, she probably had to recline, um, and there was no room for the place in the place where she was able to recline. So uh, she, she, you know, that's where they were in the place in the lower room of the of the house. And it's clear that it was the house because uh, uh, the text does say later on that uh, the wise men visited her in the house. 
Now that that's a whole other thing with the wise men. Uh, for and, and you know, <laughs> I think about uh, the songs that reinforce this, like um, a little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. Yeah, yeah, I know those. Y'all know this. Uh, or it came upon the midnight clear, a glorious song of from angels. Uh, you know uh, that stuff. Um. So nine times out of ten, she was at one of Joseph's relatives' home, and there was not enough space to accommodate her in uh, the upper chamber. Where you know she had, and probably perhaps they also thought it was probably best to accessible for her during the because uh, she would need a midwife. Uh, that's the other thing that's missing from the manger scene. Uh, uh, she would need a midwife, uh, and so you know they would have been there. Midwife would have been there. The family of Joseph would have been there because they were at his home. Um, all kinds of things like that, you know. Now the shepherds. That's the other thing that kind of throws us off with this December because nine times out of ten, or ten times out of ten, there would not have been any shepherds during the winter season. It was just too cold. Um, so they would not have been out abiding in their fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. So that's a whole it's a whole other thing. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Now, so the manger scene has these characters depicted there and uh, – with the stories of you know, with the wise men, uh, we know there where there could have been more. We only know that there were three gifts presented: gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it does not say how many persons the magi were. Uh, the magi traveled a great distance. They were Zoroastrians, yeah. Uh, so uh, they were they were pagans by some account. But they traveled a great distance and. Uh, we do not know. We do not know uh, how long it took them to get there, but we do know from scripture that by the time they occur, they arrived uh, from visiting with with uh, King Herod, and then visiting at the home where Joseph and Mary were. Um, some time had passed, so it wasn't on that night. Could have been as as late as two years later. Uh, so. That's the one thing. The nativity scene is all messed up. But there are a couple other things that we have incorporated into this. We have incorporated into this uh, this holiday that reinforces the myth. Uh, for example, we we have the tree, we have the Christmas tree, we have the Christmas lights, we have carols, we have uh, a whole other a lot of things that I'm just missing out that um, makes the story less of an uh, annunciation of the coming of the God incarnate and more of another myth, another story, just like ancient Greek mythology and stuff like that. So that's what we have to do. So when people talk about this war on Christmas, they're talking about it from a strictly capitalistic perspective. In my, from my, This is me. You know, uh, you have people who are trying to defend Christ, the name, Christ Mass, and the Mass of the Christ, and they're they're not religious at all, or if they are religious, they're you know, they're they're not Catholic, so they don't celebrate the Mass to begin with. But they're arguing anyway. That's a whole different argument. 
we have the issue of proving. Well, I won't even use the word proven. We have the issue of trying to acknowledge that the biblical story should take precedent over the current and observance. So what do I mean by that? If the biblical story takes precedent, then uh, it, it loses its capitalistic value, for one. You can't market uh, the story as it's told in the Bible. You can't. They've made some great movies, uh, some great movies about you know the the, the nativity and and the birth of Christ and all of this stuff, and it's it's wonderful from um, a theatrical perspective. But again, even those reinforce the myth because you're taking away from the the real authenticity of the coming of Advent. And if you take away the authenticity of the Advent, the point of Christmas is is gone altogether. If you, for example, uh, there there's a, there's a song. Uh, there was a, there's a song. Uh, where is what is it? Uh, Away in a manger. <laughs> uh, we we've seen it so frequently. The uh, that there's a there's a verse in there. Listen to the verse. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my cradle till morning is not. Now, when we sing that as children, we incorporate that into our Christmas narrative. So, therefore, we have this picture of Jesus with the cattle, and he's hearing all this noise, but he's not crying. Of course, we know babies cry. Right? We know babies cry. All babies cry. Very few babies don't cry. But then the latter part is what really gets me because here it's implying somehow uh, a connection between the baby being in the sky looking down on another baby in a cradle. What sense does that make? But that's how we, that's how it is. Okay? And again, this reinforces this myth it takes away from it it it, it takes away from the fact that God is with us and just makes it into another oh angel watching over me kind of thing another one uh oh boy la 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 la, la. there's so many uh, yeah, you ever wonder um why why we uh are so so quick to certain things like certain songs and certain images. For example, uh we use we've incorporated the evergreen tree into the Christmas observance and made that as a symbol of eternal life. In other words, we bring the evergreen tree, we put on the lights and I just learned this, <laughs> you know. When I when I was like, okay, why do we have lights? Why why the world do we have lights? We know why the Jews have the menorah and light the menorah 
during the Hanukkah season. And, it's, you know, it's to represent the Great War of the Maccabees, you know, back in uh, the second century BCE, where they fought against the, the Greeks. They fought back, and and um, and there was this one candle that kept burning for eight days, and that is what uh, Hanukkah celebrates, the burning of that candle for eight days, and you know, that we have Christmas lights, but we have no purpose for Christmas lights. Matter of fact, I, I still don't figure, you know, I dreaded putting them up. I I love watching them, looking at them, but I dread putting them up. And then I learned, you know, uh, Christmas lights in England during the, uh, during the 1880s. They were called little fairy or uh, fairy lights uh, that they would put on the evergreen tree. And they would watch because, uh, again, this came out of some pagan traditions that they had. Not all pagan traditions, but, you know, various cultures in Europe. Uh, Germany and England had theirs. And and then you had the Dutch. Uh, they had theirs. And, you know, even the, the figure of Santa Claus, St. Nick, all all of that. Uh, the origins of such. And... and and y'all know about the black dude that rode with Santa and actually gave the coal. I can't think of his name. But um, that's a whole different story. We'll talk about it later. Um, but these images, these these things have been incorporated into our American Christmas celebration. And we got it from the English, as they certainly know, Queen Victoria, uh, you know, is the one who most give credit as far as bringing in the modern Christian the modern Christian observance of Christmas uh, she's credited because she brought in the tree she brought in uh, she was the one uh, credited being the, the queen as certain other things got incorporated the caroling and if you look through the 18th century and 19th century England, you have the Carolins, and then you have Charles Dickens' Christmas Tale kind of reinforcing some other things and all of this. And now they're incorporated into uh, our modern Christian celebration, so much so that you go to churches, and a lot of these churches now incorporate those very things into their pageants, their plays, their Christmas, you know, things that they do, and preachers incorporate it into their sermons and all of that, and it loses value the gospel the i mean the the authentic loses value in the myth and it, it's sad um there's a song by popular song that was made uh that was a song that made popular uh mary did you know and um I can't think of the name. The, the guy I used to sing with the gospel, the Gaither Gospel Vocal Band, and he's a comedian. I can't think of his name. It's Mark something. But he wrote this song, Mary Did You Know? And that has become a traditional, almost a traditional hymn because since it's been written, since it's been, written it's been performed over and over and over. Same thing with a lot of, lot of other things. For example, some people don't feel like it's Christmas until they hear This Christmas by Donny Hathaway. Hathaway. Some people don't feel it's Christmas until they hear Merry Christmas, baby. <laughs> some people don't feel it's Christmas until they, they hear What Do the Lonely Do at Christmas? <laughs> some people 
though village Christmas. I did it here. What's that song? I just lost my train of thought just that quick. <laughs> Please come home for Christmas. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just having fun, y'all. But the reality is a lot of a lot of the things that we do, the symbols, uh the observances that we do during this time, not only are they unchristian, they're not Christian, but they take away from the real purpose of Advent. Why do we have it? Why do we observe it to begin with? Why um why do we why do we observe it? How should we observe it? Me personally, you know, I don't put up tree. Uh I've gotten out of the habit of giving gifts. I, I mostly because, you know, I see no real purpose in just waiting to a particular time of the year to give a gift. Now for my children, you know, yeah, I give them something, but I make sure it's meaningful. It's not just a toy anymore. It's something meaningful, something that helps them understand the purpose and power of the gift to reinforce their faith in themselves and others as well as the God we serve. So that, that, that's that's how I embrace Christmas. And um, I try not uh, – you can't stop folk from doing stuff, but – I, I teach my people, you know, like, okay, you put the Christmas tree up in your in your house and in the church. Do you know the origins of the tree? Do you understand Yule, that, that pagan system? Do you understand uh, the winter solstice? Do you know about that? If you don't, take the tree down. Take the lights out. Take the poinsettias out. Yes, there are symbols about that, but they're not biblical. If you're going to be biblical, stay biblical. Don't add anything. That's that's my whole point. That's That's what I was going, you know. We don't want to reinforce a myth that causes people to question their faith because when they discovered that the myth isn't any different from any other myth that they've heard before or that uh, that challenges what they've heard or what they grew up learning, if they never get past the Sunday school version of Christmas, then they're likely to leave the faith. They're likely to question the faith. And in questioning their faith, they may get dis, dis, disappointed by some of the things they learn. You know, and my job is, like I say, it's all about empowering people. I don't want people. I want people to understand that doubt is a powerful tool to drive faith. Just because you doubt something causes you to doubt does not mean that you can't that you should lose your faith. It should reinforce you to search even more. To gain a greater understanding of your faith and what you believe and why you believe what you believe so that you can share it powerfully. What makes the gospel powerful as it is is not so much as the, the that we use. You know, the a personal testimony. What makes it is what makes it powerful is the fact that we understand that this is a transcending thing. This is this is beyond just narratives and stories. The stories are are, are should be used to point to something greater, just like a symbol does that. Symbol points to something greater than what it is. The Christmas tree is a symbol that should point to something greater than what it is, and it does. But it don't point to Jesus. It doesn't. Not that it can't, but it doesn't. (laughs) The season in and of itself, the holiday season, from Thanksgiving to the end of the year, that in it itself is symbol. 
It's symbolic, and it points to something greater. It points to a a time where we should reflect more on others than ourselves. As we believe God thought it not robbery to become like us. According to Paul in Philippians 1, he made himself of no reputation and became like us. Those are the kind of things we should consider during this Advent season, going into the Christmas season, going into... uh, the rest of the year, 2015, and 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 again, you know, I'm 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 using this broadcast. I've been all over the place, but I'm using this broadcast as a means of helping you to question. That question should not lead to doubt. It should lead to doubting you question your religious institution definitely, but it should also lead you to a reinforcing of faith in your own. Your own faith, not the faith of your mama, not the faith of your daddy, not the faith of your church, your denomination, not the faith of anything else, but the faith that you encounter with the Lord. All right, well, having said all that, I'm running out of time. I have run out of time. I'm excited about this year in 2015, and I want to extend the opportunity. You know, I've been doing this show, I have, uh, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I just want to encourage you to continue to uh, to listen. We try to do as much as we can. And if you don't think it robbery, uh, we we don't mind accepting donations. <laughs> this this is uh, a wonderful opportunity for you to help us do what we do. We enjoy it, and we want you to help us enjoy it also, and help others enjoy it. So, thinking not robbery to share. Simply visit. Um, LorenzoTNeal.com, and you can see how you can help donate, help keep this program on the air, and all others, other than any other. As I always said, I said before, you can catch every archive show simply by going to uh, blogtalradio.com slash zero today. Go to uh, Zero Network on Facebook. Uh, you can catch it on iTunes, download the podcast. We we have it there any way you can. We uh, appreciate that. So, Having said all that, I want to wish all of you who are listening a very, very, very Merry Christmas. <laughs> a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll be out for the year, but we're excited. Pastor Rental Neal, and I'm one out. Stay happy, everybody. God bless you.